gentlemen, stand on our feet this morning as we worship the Lord together. He is worthy, amen.
Somebody give him some praise this morning. What an awesome God we serve. Amen. Hey, before we continue, can we just slip our hands to heaven and invite the presence of the Lord into this place? Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for another opportunity you've given us, Lord, to be in your house. And God, Lord, we don't want to just sing songs, Lord, that are about you in this place, God. But we want to sing to you, Lord. Lord, we lift up our hearts in worship to you, and we ask that you would come into this house, Lord, and inhabit our praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.
Bless your name, O Lord. He is worthy, amen. Oh, we love you, Jesus. All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. The things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. You called to your son to shine on darkest nights. For all that you've done, we will pour out our love as we be. I am the soul Cause Jesus we love you Oh how we love you Oh Lord You are the one now I the door Come on sing it again we say now But Jesus we it to you, he's saying, that Jesus, we love you, oh, how we love you, you are the world, our hearts adore, yes, we do, Lord, amen, we bless your name, Jesus.
Well, if you want to go ahead and have a seat for a few moments, the ushers are going to serve you with communion as we continue to worship this morning. Can you just say that? His love is wonderful to me. You know, uh, the New Testament communion, communion, the word communion means fellowship. It's a special fellowship time of communing with God. The first time they received communion as we know it, it was called the Lord's Supper. When Jesus was on this earth, it was the last thing that he did with his disciples before he went to the Mount Gethsemane and was arrested. And they had a meal together. Then after the meal, he took a loaf of bread and he said, I want you to take a portion of that and I want you to share it. I want you to think about me, remember me. He did the same with a cup. This small little piece of bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body that was crucified for our sins. The cup reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. But one thing I want to encourage you to think about today as we receive communion is our salvation. The experience when you were born again, when you were saved. My wife served the Lord all her known life. She can't look back at a day, per se, but I can. For me, it was August 15th, 1976. I remember I was 19 years of age, and if you looked at me on the outside, you'd think, well, boy, everything's together. 
you know, he's going to college, he's got a scholarship, he's dating the majorette and the, the uh, cheerleader, and, you know, has a new car he got for graduation, and everything on the outside looks great. But on the inside, I mean, no, we know, and something was missing. I just would find the things I was trying to do in life to be happy were just elusive to me. If I drink with my friends, I'd get up the next morning and just feel it all gone, have to do it again. It's like a pouring water in a bucket with a hole in it, it just drains out. And I can remember that time in my life, I joined the Navy, and I was, I, I was, for the first time in my life, I was alone. And I realized as a human being that I needed God. And I was fortunate that a Gideon had told me, uh, he gave me a little Bible. And he said that Jesus Christ could change my life. I can remember him saying that God wanted a real relationship with me. The Bible calls it being saved, being born again. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. When I asked, I, I, I just said a simple prayer. And I said, Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me and give me a brand new life. I've reached a place in my life, kind of like a spiritual crossroads, where I'm ready to start following you. And I want to tell you, friends, I remember that today. I remember what I was, and I've never had any regrets. I've been serving the Lord a little over 40 years. I've been married a little over 33, got three great kids, a good life. But no matter what goes on on the outside, because our life's not perfect, how many know that? I mean, we have problems like everybody else. But I found that I know the one that's an ever-present help in time of trouble. I know the one I call Savior, and I'm never alone. Paul said these words. Paul said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night, same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke that bread, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's interesting that he used the word broken. Because now he focuses on the cross. He focuses on the, the violent acts that were done to Christ because they were the punishment for my sins. And that's what the cross is about, that Jesus Christ literally died for me. He carried the sins of the world. So, Lord, today as we hold this little reminder in our hand, I just want to pray, God, that you would help us realize at a deeper level the love you have for us and what you did for us. See, you didn't wait till I cleaned my act up to start loving me. The Bible says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died. And I pray the reality of this cup would just get deeper and deeper and deeper in my mind and heart. And I'd be motivated to live for you all my days. God bless this bread. If there's any sick in our midst, I pray they'd be healed today in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant or new promise in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The color of the cup reminds us of the blood of Christ. The Bible teaches us that the life is in the blood. And the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So it simply reminds us that this is the distinctive of Christianity. Jesus Christ was God's perfect sacrifice. He gave his life for us. So Lord, today with this cup in hand, we humbly confess our sins. God, the things that we've done wrong and failed to do right. We ask you to cleanse us today and renew us and make us brand new. God, help us to have resolved to live for you all the days of our life. Come, Lord, today. As we lift our cup to heaven, we simply say, Lord, let us be living a life worthy of you, of you when you come back. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Well, can somebody say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. 
Hey, why don't you stand back to your feet? We're going to sing another song this morning. Because dark was the stand of my sin. Ever more guilty within Searching for rescue Where none could be found Until from that hill I heard the sound Until from that hill I heard the sound At the cross cross with his roof over me at the cross at the cross I am finally free at the cross at the cross burdens roll away at the cross come on let's sing that again we say Lord at the cross at the cross with take this moment to thank you father i thank you i thank you i thank you for the cross father i thank you i thank you i thank you for the cross my friend come on one more time all over the house together let's just say thank you lord father i thank you i thank you i thank you for the cross father i I thank you, I thank you for the cross, my friend. Lord, we thank you that the cross has given us victory, amen? Come on, somebody give him some praise in his house this morning. Our God is worthy, amen? We serve such a good God. Lord, we bless your name. Why don't you turn around and greet two or three people in the house of the Lord? Welcome them, let them know you're glad they're here. And Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for the cross. Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for the cross, my friend. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock.
Every Wednesday night, we have plenty of opportunities for you and your family to get involved and to grow. Kids Zone gives children from the ages of six weeks to sixth grade a great place to connect with God, friends, ministry, and the world. It provides classes that are designed to stimulate children's spiritual growth and development. Children are not only taught about God, but they get to experience Him through worship, prayer, lessons, games, and so much more. Powerhouse Youth 7th through 12th grade meets on Wednesday nights at 645 while focusing on personal growth and discipleship in a fun and relevant atmosphere. Get your students involved so they can be sharpened and challenged to live their life for God. Our Wednesday night classes are designed for you to connect with godly friends and to live life together. This is a place to be encouraged and refreshed as you dig into the Bible in a small group setting. With classes that range from laugh your way to a better marriage to self-defense, you are bound to find the group that's perfect for you. Be sure to get involved this Wednesday. Next weekend is Daylight Savings. Be sure to set your clocks forward one hour on Saturday night so you can meet us here for service on Sunday morning. If you don't want to lose an hour of sleep, you can always check out our Saturday night service at 6 p.m. No Velocity or D groups this weekend. The students will stay in service to enjoy a message from Pastor John. Next week, Velocity and D groups, our junior high and high school small groups, will continue. Good to see everybody here this morning. God is good. Amen? All right. Hey, in the front of your chair, right ahead of you, there's one of these ministry guides, as you heard on the video announcements, all kinds of things going on Wednesday night. Great night for family, your children, the youth are meeting at a powerhouse. But we have small groups all over the city, classes in this church. So grab that, find a place to get connected. And if you still need help, stop by the connect room on the other side of those walls on the way out, and they will help you. We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. There's a scripture in Matthew 5, verse 41. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, even in uh, today's terminology, you've heard, go the second mile. You know, we've heard that, but its roots are all the way back in the first century in Palestine. The Romans had conquered most of the Mediterranean world, and one of the marvels of their conquest was this vast array of highways. As a matter of fact, there was over 50,000 miles of Roman highways to be able to get them from their area to the conquered territories. And on every mile they had a marker, either the mileage to the next town or a warning about something ahead, but there was all these markers at every mile. And that's why you hear the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. That's where that came from. Okay, so here's the situation. A Roman uh, citizen or soldier could compel a subject to carry their load, to pick up their backpack and carry it one mile. They had to do it under the Roman law. And so you can imagine Jesus' teaching came along, and he said not just take one, but go the second mile. So it probably kind of, you know, some of these Roman soldiers are thinking, what's, what's this all about? But imagine maybe a teenage boy. A Roman soldier comes up to him and hands him their pack and says, hey, carry this for a mile. And so he picks up the pack because he has to, and he carries it one mile. Most of them probably would have laid it right down there, spit on the ground, and turned and walked the other way. But what about the Christian young man? He says, hey, I'm going to go with you another mile. Starts out, hey, how's your day? Starts talking to this soldier and starts, and this soldier all of a sudden is probably thinking, man, 
he starts probably remembering, man, that's those things Jesus taught. And that guy on the cross, I mean, could he be the Messiah? You never know. I'm telling you, it's that second mile where God really gets involved. And I want to talk about our Imagine More project right now. And if you're fairly new to the church, maybe you've been seeing this Imagine More up there. We're raising money. Well, we finally got, it took several years to get these plans right. Because I'm telling you, Pastor John wanted to do this right, not extend ourselves, not build some showy thing, but something we really needed to help serve our community. And so we finally, we are going to add on to the sanctuary. We're going to go back another one of these bays because we realize we have to have more seats in here. Amen. And we need classrooms and we need nurseries and all that stuff. And so we're finally there and you've been faithful in giving. So I want to challenge us all to a second mile offering. And not today necessarily, but in these next few weeks, be praying about what you can do. Because you know what? The first mile is mandatory. That's the tithe. That guy says, if you want to honor me, the tithe is holy, return it to the Lord, to the storehouse. And that's kind of our mandate mile. But I'm telling you, it's that second mile. It's that miracle mile I think you're going to really see some blessings in. And, uh, you know, sometimes we stand up here behind this pulpit and we kind of tell you to do this or that. But, uh, you know, I was challenged to be, and I've been faithful since we started this, of giving a little extra, you know, every month. And I kind of, sometimes you wonder, well, do you see this big fruit come in or this big harvest? But I look back and the Lord reminded me, this is the first year, I believe, since credit cards were invented, that I came into the new year without any credit card debt. And I'm telling you, I couldn't have done that with my imagined more money just going to that, but yet I put it in God's kingdom, and I still don't know how he did this. I'm going to try to figure it out someday. But I'm telling you, he was just faithful to take care of that. And then I was also sitting there in the first service thinking, there's a guy I'm supposed to meet today to sell a car part to, and the Lord kind of quickened me. Well, how much faith do you have? Are you willing to sow that? So I've got a little, God's going to give you some seed. I really believe that. Now you got to ask, is this seed for eating, for my pleasure, or is it something I re-sow? And so I want to, let's just pray today. We just don't pray right now, but I want to pray. Father, we thank you for Imagine More and what you're going to do. And Lord, our community needs you. And Lord, if our church can help in any way by expanding its borders and reaching out more, help us to do that. Now speak to our hearts. Anything we should give, a special offering, a continued gift, Lord. And Lord, I just believe you want to just really bless some people so we can be a bigger blessing. So we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give today. And something very special coming up right now. Tell us what it is. How are we doing this morning? Well, my name is Samantha, and I am a leader of the newest creative arts team here at Church on the Rock. We have come up with a team to display dramas for you guys that have messages, and this one in particular is entitled Knocking. And the message of it that you'll see in a minute is when we feel the Holy Spirit knocking on our hearts to let our walls down and let him take over. We've all been through a place, through a time in our life where we just couldn't even handle it anymore, yet we still put up a wall and said, God, no, I can't. I'm, I'm too filthy. I have too much shame. I can't do this. I'm not worthy, Lord. But in the end, he tells us, well, really in the beginning, he tells us, put your walls down. You don't have to put up walls. I am your healing. I'm your restoration. I'm your salvation. So... With that, I have this wonderful team who agreed to take out a uh, leap of faith with me and do this. We've committed a lot of time, so I hope that you enjoy what we've come up with. I feel you so close to me. I feel you right next door to me. 
I hear you approaching my steps, walking closely, knocking upon this entrance for me. Clearly, you're caressing this doorknob, asking, open up your door, please. I hear you on the other side of this pillar framing the outline to my haven of safety. I hear you breathing on the other side of this wall, whispering, please let me in. And I wish that I could let him, but there are walls that stand between him. The mere fact that there's a door to knock on proves that I've already locked him out with walls made of planks of doubt, fear that I'm not worthy. God, I know you say you want to come in, but have you really seen me? My insides are dirty. My heart is sickly. My house is filthy. Still, I can hear him knocking, and he's knocking on these walls made up of sinful structures. For there have been deeds by other men that have hurt me first and convinced me that a life of sin, a life of sadness, a life of insecurity was all that I deserved. So I've lived my life trying to live up to all these lies that I've heard, putting up walls to block out God so I can sit here in my sin, trying to figure out how to self-heal my hurts but still I can hear him knocking and he's knocking on these walls made up of guilt and shame I know I am to blame for how my life has turned out I am not the little girl my parents raised to be holy and wholesome and set apart and I don't want God to see me this way I don't want him to see me as I'm straddling the lines of purity with my boyfriend I don't want him to see me as I'm hungover from the alcohol I've used to quench my depression I don't want him to see me as I'm hooking up with strangers just because I can't be patient. I don't want him to see me as I'm starving myself, trying to look like the world's idea of perfection. But still, I can hear him knocking. But I stay locked in, putting up as many walls as I can to protect myself from getting hurt again, from allowing heartbreak to come in again, to hide myself away so that God can't see who I really am. And I know I'm in a box. I know these walls are enclosed, but really I'm getting used to this roof. And really this place has become home. Within these walls, within these sins, I am comfortable. But this home is a prison. These walls are more like bars holding in a freed man who's chosen to be captive by choosing the sin that slowly seeped into our heads, our hearts, our hands. And with them, we've built this separation. I've built this separation between God and me. But still, I can hear him knocking and I'm starting to wonder what it would be like to be set free. I'm getting claustrophobic with all this condemnation clutter me. I'm getting asthmatic with all of this sin that's suffocating me and my ears are almost growing deaf with how loud I can hear God knocking for me, screaming toward me. I hear him shouting, you don't have to put up walls for safety. I am your protection. I am your satisfaction, your joy, your wholeness. There is healing. There's forgiveness. There is redemption. There is restoration. There is salvation from your sinfulness. Open up these walls you've used to hide from me. Open up the door for me. And I don't know if your walls or if your prisons look anything like me. But no matter why you might be hiding, if you listen carefully, you too can still hear him knocking, knocking, knocking. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah.
Well, they did great, didn't they? They did that at the ladies' retreat. I'm told they had 160 ladies. But I must say, I'm offended because I asked to be in their troop, and they wouldn't let me. Heretofore, I am crushed, and now I am offended. If you had little girls growing up, you know little girls like to play dress up. I mean, they'd go in mom's closet and they would get her clothes and put on the high heels and just kind of walk around the house and, 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 and the little girl would say, Daddy, guess who I am? Well, how many know that's a game? Daddy takes a couple guesses and he finally says, your mom. But we've been talking for several weeks now about someone that is masked and we're not aware who's behind the mask. We've been talking in this series called Unmasked, exposing who the Bible says a literal character called Satan is. He's called the devil. He's called Lucifer. He's called the God with a little g of this world, an angel of light, the deceiver, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren. He is a devourer, and the Bible says he's real. He's not a, a, a figure of mythology. He's not the, uh, the, the force of the dark side. It's a real demonic being with fallen angels, demons that are with him. And we've been seeing in this series what the Bible says he does, who he is, how he operates in the world, the tactics that he uses. If you were here last week, we talked about what I believe is his most effective tactic against the individual, which is temptation. That word temptation, you remember last week we talked about the little trap. You remember the squirrel if you were here and the little seeds and he was just going until finally this Greek word for the bait of that trap is scandalon and when we take the trap, the tempter snaps it. How many know we're in deep trouble? Well, that was last week, temptation. This week uh, is I'm going to look at his primary tool to destroy not just me but a relationship that I'm in and it's the tool called offenses. John Bevere written, has written a book, it's a millions has been sold, called The Bait of Satan. And I want to explore it today. My text is Proverbs 18, verse 19. And I want you to say this with me. Proverbs 18, verse 19 says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified or a walled city. Now think about that just a second. Leave it on the screen just a moment. A, a, a clo an offended friend, this word offense is what we're looking at, and a friend that's taken hold of an offense, something that hurts us, something that angers us, and now they put themselves behind walls. Remember, if you like the, to watch older movies, and, and it was the fort that protected people because of the walls. President Trump wants to build a wall on our southern border to define our nation's boundary. The Vatican has a wall around Vatican City. Well, how many know people can erect walls? Uh, it, it's hard to restore relationship when somebody's put up walls. The walls were intended to protect us, but the walls also separate us or isolate us. How many know that today? And does it seem like in America everybody's offended? Everybody is offended over something in the USA today. I mean, it just doesn't matter who you are, but there's something out there to get you upset. I heard sportscasters recently, I read an article, and they were talking about the racial composition of the team on the field. I just thought you were supposed to, whoever was the best player, that you got to play. But it seemed like they had another uh, matrix that way they viewed life, and if it didn't fit it, someone was supposed to be offended. Either a black person, a white person, a, a, an Asian, but someone's supposed to be offended because of the color of their skin. 
In Texas now, we, there's, they're contemplating a, what's called a bathroom bill. And, of course, people that are, that are transgendered, they're offended because they can't reach, use the restroom of their choice. If they happen to feel that today I'm a man in a woman's body or vice versa, they're offended. And, of course, if you're going to be on the other side of it, maybe you're offended that they would even want a boy to shower in the girl's restroom. Uh, in America today, we're offended because uh, we use Indian names for our sports teams, the Braves. Uh, there's, there's challenges to some teams where they want to change their name. Mascots offend people. The flag offends people. Some people are offended by the Confederate flag. Some would die behind it. Some people, I saw a school in Mexico, and, and, and some of the kids had a Mexican flag. Some had an American flag, and, and everybody's offended. I think the most dramatic example of being offended today, it was a, a pamphlet, 14-page pamphlet, that doctors in the United Kingdom, uh, the British Medical Association, published for patient care. And here's what it said. It said, uh, pregnant mothers, you don't refer to people as pregnant mothers, but as pregnant people, so you won't offend transgender people. Now think about that. I don't know that there's ever in recorded history a, a, a biological male having a baby, but if it's, it's so, so could you see behind this is that Satan does a great job at dividing us. And of all that I just said, you probably got some hair bristled in the back of your neck because we live in a country today where uh, people seem to make, make hay or politics, political points out of keeping us divided and trying to stir up strife and getting us offended. It's like if you have a sore on your body, and that sore, if you'll just take care of it, keep it clean, keep a bandage, it'll heal. But how many know if you keep picking at it, if you keep picking the scab, you keep it open? Well, that's exactly what offenses have the power to do. And uh, I've entitled the morning's message, Walls and Offenses. And I want to address the subject with four questions. My first question is, what does it mean to be offended? And how does Satan use offenses to destroy relationships? Number two, why is it so important to deal with an offense rather than hold on to it? How many have, uh, have been offended at something or someone for over than a year? Wave your hand at me here this morning. Come on, be honest with me today. How about you've been offended at something over five years? Uh, 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 Ten years? Uh, Twenty years? Okay, uh, 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 what, what exactly was that that happened 20 years ago? <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just, I'm just teasing. I've got something that I've carried a long time. I'm going to talk about one. But, but how do we get over an offense? It's going to be very practical this morning. What does the Bible tell us? But lastly, I want to talk about how do I help an offended person? Uh, let's explore walls and offenses. And let me deal with the first question. What does it mean to be offended? And how does Satan use offenses to destroy relationships? Now, when we talk about being offended, we simply, talk, we simply mean that someone has done or said something that hurt my feelings or made me mad. You did something, you said something, or vice versa, you didn't stand up, and I'm mad, and in the bottom line, our relationship suffers. Now, how many offenses can be real? I could have done it intentionally, or, uh, or it could be just perceived. It could be someone's perception. I got, I got offended at a friend in ministry several years ago because I didn't get invited to his conference. And then I got my feelings hurt. Well, come to find out, they got a new computer system, and my old address was in it, and, and I didn't get it because something technology had happened, and he had no intention whatsoever. But for a little while, I felt like, I don't like you anymore. Now, you've never done that, I know. 
But offenses can be uh, uh, intentional, unintentional, but bottom line, they become a stumbling block in the relationship. And Satan uses this stumbling block. He uses this offense like the bait in a trap. And if you and I lay hold of it, it can separate us from people that we care about. Uh, maybe, maybe someone didn't come to your wedding, and now you're offended at them. Uh, maybe they broke a promise to you. They gave you your word. Uh, maybe they told you they would come to the ball game, or they would take you hunting or fishing with them, and they never invited you. Uh, maybe they didn't like you on Facebook. Now, there is a treatment center in the back of the church today. If, if, if you're getting more unlikes than likes, we'll help you. Uh, in America on college campuses today, we have safe places where people can go so they're in an offense-free environment. I don't know what planet they're living on. Um, but, but all these things have father wounds. I will often offend people, not on purpose, but they'll interpret one of my actions through a father wound of their past. Uh, my wife's told me that I've offended people and had no clue that I even did it because something as simple as walking down the aisle shaking hands and I missed someone. I just, it just, you know, not on purpose. We used to put birthdays in the bulletin, this true story, and someone came up to me and they, they were, said they were offended because their birthday wasn't in the bulletin. And I said, well, did you ever fill out the little card to tell us when your birthday was? Well, I don't remember, but I'm offended. Y'all are real quiet on me this morning. Now, how many know it doesn't really matter if I'm offended at an arm's length person? Well, it does, but let's say you go out to lunch today and the waiter looks at you and says, who dresses you? Now, you know, please still give him a tip, but, I mean, he's having a bad day. But you don't have to go back to that restaurant, and it'll probably be nothing. But how about if it's your in-laws? How about if it's a school teacher that you're going to have to look at for the next three years because you've got Spanish one, two, and three? How about if it's a spiritual leader? God's called you to a church, and how about you're offended at another Christian? How about if it's your spouse? I mean, I get offended at Linnell sometimes. You think she's perfect, but she's not. I get offended at our staff, but I don't take the offense. Offense can either be like, let's say, if it storms, if the hail falls on your car, I hope it doesn't, but if it does, it bounces off. But if the rain falls on your ground, it absorbs it. And when something happens to me that hurts my feelings, makes me angry, I can either internalize it and hold on to it tightly, my fist, or I can just release it and just say, God bless everybody and, and keep on going. Well, this is what we're talking about today, and I'm talking about primarily the more serious relationships in my life. Because, listen, you're going to have Thanksgiving dinner with your in-laws. Whoever you marry, you may have butted heads before you got married, but it's a part of your future. So let me help you on these serious relationships. Here's the second question. Why is it so important to deal with an offense rather than hold on to it? Because how many know we have a choice? And I want to give you three things, two of them a little abstract, but, but very, very much biblical. The first one is this. I need to deal with an offense because if I take on an offense... I'm going to break unity in the relationship. And when I break unity, I remove or pull away from God's blessing. Now, why is that? Let me read you a scripture, Psalm 133, a biblical principle. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Now, let me just focus on that phrase, when brothers dwell. You may be sitting here and saying, what about sisters? <laughs> 
The Bible is generic. You know, some people have been so sensitive to, to gender language that they have written translations of the Bible that removed male and female pronouns. This is true. It, we have taken this so far that we have removed it, and, and some people are even offended that God would be referred to as Father. So this is just built into the fabric of our culture. Listen, it's only 1150. There's probably a church you can go to right now, if I've offended you already, that you can get there. It's just a part of our culture today. So it's a broad, generic term he's talking about. But listen to what he said. It's pleasant, good, when, when, when people dwell in unity. Now here's the phrase, for there the Lord has done what? Commanded the blessing. Now, when we talk about God's blessing, how I many know we can get in position of his blessing? When we walk in obedience, when we, you know, we're doing things that please the Lord, when we're saying yes to the Spirit of God, God would bless us, provide for us, care for us. But, but this idea of a commanded blessing, when God sees people in unity, power is released. How I many know you don't even have to be a Christian for this to be true? They're building the Tower of Babel, this tower to reach heaven before we have the technology of machines, and they're doing it because they're communicating until their language is disrupted, and when disunity comes, they stop the building entirely. If you don't think uh, unity is important, you just let mom and dad start struggling and fighting and see if the kids don't, don't suffer. See if their grades aren't affected. See if their performance on the field's not affected. See if they're not having little outbursts of temper or depression. It does, friend. If you don't think unity matters, find two business partners that work closely together. And I mean, I mean, whatever it is, you're working at it, things are going well, it's smooth, but you get offended, and all of a sudden you're keeping track on your Evernote. Come on, you're, you're, you're wasting time because how many times you did this, how many times you cleaned up, how many times you fixed this, and you didn't. So now when it's vacation time, you're not going out. And it's like offense will break unity if we don't deal with it. Here's the second reason why we need to deal with it. My offense causes me to act in sinful ways rather than walking in love. Now, uh, when I'm offended, my natural response is to seek revenge. You hurt me? That's exactly right. That's what we do. It's tit for tat. You say something, I'm saying it back. I mean, you hurt my feelings real bad. You hadn't heard the mama joke I'm about to tell on your mother because of what you said to me which flows naturally into the second one, gossip. And what does mother have to do with anything anyway? Why did we bring her into it? Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever forgives someone's sin makes a friend, but gossiping about the sin on Facebook breaks up friendships. What is gossiping? Gossiping is talking about people that's not part of the solution. Gossiping is a sinful way to deal with a hurt and anger or frustration. Um, any, uh, the third thing we do, and I struggle with this one, when I get offended, my first response is to withdraw and isolate myself. I'm told I'm, I'm a passive aggressive. Any passive aggressives here? Come on. Well, you, we know how to punish people, don't we? We know how to make excuses why we can't come to the family gathering, why we can't call back, why it's all these things. We're just trying to get at you. Now, how many of you say, just get over it? Look, if I'm mad, I'm going to punch you. Come on, how many? Let me see your hand here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God help all of you. We just want to probably pray for you right now that God would help you. But this is what happened. This is what offended people do. They fight all the time. They withdraw. Uh, we, we act immature and selfishly. 
Now, how many know when you got a little girls, if, if they're in the fourth grade and, and they've got a BFF necklace, <laughs> and it's just little jagged cuts, and each one of them have one, they, they put it together, and, they, and when they're spending the night together in the same bed at night, they've got a flashlight, and they're looking at them. But when they go to school the next day, and one of them makes fun, come on now, the way the other one looks, I mean, maybe they have the audacity to wear two socks that match. <laughs> and the one little girl makes fun of the other one, and all of a sudden, you're not my best friend. Actually, I hate you now, and I'm never talking to you again. You say, wow, come on, that's just immature kids. Adults do the same thing. Offenses, it will crimp the flow of God's grace in your life. You see, when I, I, I let an offense control my behavior, you know what I'm doing? I'm letting Satan control me. I'm like a puppet. Let me tell you the third thing why I need to deal with it. Again, an abstract one, but I think you'll catch this. Offended people become spiritually blind to what God is doing, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the way he's moving. Matthew 13, very clear to us. Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown, and, and when he was teaching, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Well, what's verse 55 say? They scoffed. They laughed at him. Some of them began to, to, to make fun of him. Uh, this, is the, this is just the carpenter's son, and, and we know his mothers and brothers. Now, verse 57, I want you to say this. And they were deeply offended. Deeply offended. The English Standard Version says they took offense. This word deeply offended, it's the Greek word scandalon. It's the same word as the tempter's trap, the bait on that trap. This time the bait is not to get, pull you into sin, but it's to get you offended so our relationship breaks. And what happened to them? They refused to believe in the Savior of the world that offered them eternal life. And number two, Jesus only did a few miracles because of their unbelief. Now, we don't know why they were offended. Perhaps they were jealous. I mean, I could easily see how a little boy that had been raised in church all of his life in the synagogue and, and the priest taught the Torah and the religious leaders, and now all of a sudden people want to listen to Jesus rather than them. I don't know if that was it, whatever the case was, but the bottom line, it affected them spiritually because they were offended. They couldn't believe in the Savior. They, 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 they didn't receive miracles. Let me tell you how it manifests today. I remember this like it was yesterday. I had a good friend of mine. And he used to come to church, but he got upset with me about something. He got offended. And for a while, he began to come. But when he would come to church, and he would sit right over there. He'd, sit, he'd, sit, he'd come, and he'd just cross his arms. And I don't care what happened. He had just this snarl, a scowl on his face. And I just preached to this side. <laughs> Did you see uh, President Trump's speech the other night? The Democrats won't, won't stand up hardly anything, so he just preaches to the other side. Well, it's one of those. But, but this, this came to me so clearly. One day he's there with his typical snarl. I love this guy. He's my friend. But in front of him was a younger man. And during worship, this younger man just had his hands lifted to heaven. Tears coming down his eyes. Not because he was, he was hurt about something. He was just caught up in worship in the presence of God. And this younger guy would come out and he would just say, Man, I just felt God all over that worship today. And my friend would just say through Facebook and other means, there's no anointing in that church. God's presence is not there. Ichabod's in that church. Well, the problem wasn't Pastor Nick or the singer or me. The problem was not that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not perfect, but what the problem was is he took an offense. 
And what an offense is, is it shut him down spiritually, and he was just going through the motions. I'm telling you, we need to deal with our offenses because it'll affect our relationship with God. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. Now, how do we get over an offense? How many would say when you're hurt or angry, you'd rather stay that way? Let me see your hand here. About 10 honest people. A room full of liars this morning. I, I, listen, in my mind, I rehearse it, I, I, and I'll punish the, I hate to say it, but I, will, I would be more apt to punish him and get over it rather than get over it and reconcile. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, don't get quiet on me now. Paul writes to the Philippian church, and then he singles out these two ladies. He says, I urge Yodia, and hard word, uh, I'm going to call her Sister S, Sister E and Sister S. And what does he say to them? I nurture differences and, and make up. We're, we're, we're Christians. We're not on the playground. Is this a command in the Bible just like thou shalt not steal? Just like husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church? Uh, 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 you know, all these scriptures. But when it really touches home like this, I want to skip over it. You got quiet. Good news, it's only 15 minutes to go, so you're going to make it. Now, let me tell you how to get over an offense, and this is a really big one. Admit I'm hurt or mad and ask God to help me. Let me say it again. You say, well, that's pretty simple. I know it's profound, though. Admit that I'm hurting or mad, but then go up to heaven. Because, listen, if you've not been able to resolve it yet, but God can help us. I think, the, the, in my opinion, one of the greatest stories in the Bible is, is this young man named Joseph. Joseph was a, uh, uh, he had uh, uh, brothers, you know, a dozen siblings. Uh, he's the youngest child. I mean, you know, uh, next to the youngest, he's the favorite child. But his brothers didn't like him. They were jealous of him. They threw him in a pit for dead. They sold him as a slave. And if you want to think about being a slave for 13 years, thrown in prison for doing nothing wrong, and then all of a sudden the brothers show up. And what he does when he see he reveals himself, he doesn't look down at them and smile and says, I'm fixing to get even with you, raggedy. He opens his arms and he says, brothers. And he draws them close to him and said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to tell you, friends, if God can do that for Joseph, God can do that for you. And I want to speak to you, my friends, that have let hope die in your hearts that a relationship can get better. If you're here today and it's just kind of like you don't think it'll ever get better and you're struggling with the thing, listen, don't let it die. Somehow, I'm telling you, the same God who helped Joseph is the same God that can help us. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not talking about the waiter that made front of your clothes. I'm talking about the people across from you uh, uh, during Thanksgiving. I'm talking about the people in your workplace. You may not have to quit your job because of the way somebody's treating you. It could be that God could change their hearts. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. Now, this, this second thing, if you want to get over an offense, you can't escape this, but you and I have to learn to forgive people who offend us. Why don't you double up your fist just a minute, and I want you to imagine this is the hurt. When, I, when, when you say something to me, when you neglect me, when you lie, whatever the case is, and I hold on to it, this is holding the offense. Forgiveness is releasing it. Forgiveness doesn't imply that I, I don't agree that it's wrong. Uh, I, I, listen, one of the greatest examples of Christian 
um, forgiveness in America today. There, that we could have had a, 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 an explosion, a racial explosion in America when this crazy kid, this white kid, killed these black people in a church. Remember, it was is in South and North Carolina a year or so ago. Families were devastated. But virtually, I mean, came in a church house on a Wednesday night, pulls a gun, and just starts shooting people. But yet, the response of the Christian community was, you've hurt us deeply, but we're still going to forgive you because the love of God is greater than the hatred of man. See, forgiveness doesn't say what he's doing is wrong. This, this guy went on to, uh, to represent himself, and he's facing the death penalty now. But, but it, it doesn't undermine justice. But what forgiveness does is it says, I'm going to release you. Let me read you a scripture why, how Satan uses this. Verse 10, scripture says, I've forgiven, Paul speaking now, to the Corinthian church. There was a believer that had done wrong. This believer was disciplined. And now Paul said, we need to reach out to this person because Satan's trying to get in here. Paul said, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Verse 11, in order that... Now, how is Satan going to outwit them? By keeping them in unforgiveness towards a brother. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Because here's what happened. When we're offended, we focus on the wrong done. We become hurt, angry, resentful, bitter, and hateful. And relationships suffer, friends, until we forgive. Forgiveness is God's answer for the wrong done to us. And it's not because they deserve it. But listen, friend, when you forgive, how many know you're the one that's going to get set free? When you open your hand, come on, the hatred. I had a woman come up to me after church this morning and said she had physical pain in her body for something that someone that had hurt her years ago. And she said, I finally was able to forgive that person. And when I truly forgave them, the pain left me. It will manifest in your emotions and even in your physical body. So let me tell you the third thing is when someone is offended with you uh, or when you're offended, how how, how can I get over this? Seek healing in confrontation. Now, confrontation is not a, a, a bad word. I don't like it. But in this case, I'm not talking about going to start a fight. I'm talking about going with your hand extended. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, Matthew 18, verse 15, If another believer sins against you, offends you, post an old picture on Snapchat. Tells everyone on Instagram of what it used to be like. No. Go privately. Can you say that with me? Go. Say, come on. Go. One more time. Go to the person. Jesus said, go in private and point out the offense. And that does not mean, hey, I want to tell you something. The reason I hadn't talked to you in the last seven years is because you told me you were going to invite me to go duck hunting, and you didn't invite me, and everybody killed a limit that day, and they all had bands on their feet, and I didn't get one because you didn't invite me, and that's why I've been mad. That is not what we're saying. Jesus said, go private upon the offense, and if the other person listens to you and confesses it, what does it say? You have won the person back. So the question is, is it more important for biblical restoration or is it more important for the wrong to be righted? And I got news for you, that wrong may never be righted this side of heaven. And here's what I mean when I'm talking about going to the person. I'm talking about just going to them with your hand out like that or a smile on your face and saying, hey, look, you and I used to be real friends. We used to be really close together. 
And I know both of us have done some things that we wish we hadn't have done and said some things, but I just want to come to you today and just say, look, I'm still your friend. I love you. I care about you. I'd like to make our relationship work again. How hard is that? Tell your neighbor, that's the hardest thing he's talked about this morning. Because something inside, whether it's pride or whether it's my hurt, you got quiet on me. Let me move on. How do I help an offended person? In other words, somebody's offended at me. What do I do? They're living, you know, you're living rent-free in their brain. Listen, not only do they not even come by your street, they avoid the city of Texarkana when they drive through this part of the country. How do we help them? This first one, again, may sound simple, but I suggest it is tremendously profound. We pray and ask God to heal their wounded heart. Here's the problem. Proverbs 18 says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. If I can't talk to... And how many know there's some people that they just don't want to talk to us? It's just factual. They may not want to talk to me, but they can't stop me from talking to God about them. And I'm telling you something powerful happens in the place of prayer. Because the first thing that can happen is the spiritual interference that Satan's bringing in the relationship. Come on, who's the offender? Uh, Satan is. They took the bait. They took the scandal on. And now the hook, you know, is in their, is in their, their jaw like swamp people. And they can't, let, they can't let go of the thing. And Satan's ready to just shoot him in the head. I'm telling you, friends, if you start talking to God about them, God could just begin to soften their heart. And let me know they're not big enough to stand against God. But it does something else powerful and profound too. It begins to prepare my heart to restore them. Because I have found this in my life. I cannot hate you if I'm praying for you. I cannot hate you if I'm praying for you. And it's hard to pray for the one who offended you at first, but then pretty soon you begin to take on the burden of God for that person. And you begin to pray for them with compassion, come on, rather than hatred. And then after some of this, let me tell you another thing. I want to suggest again, with a different vein, reach out to them and confess what you've done wrong. Now, why would I say that? Because Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 23, Jesus said, when you offer your gift to God at the altar, in other words, when you're going to church, what did Jesus say? And you remember your brother or sister has something against you. What is that? They're offended. What did Jesus say to do? Say it again. Go. Go and make peace with that person, and then come and offer your gift. Now, two different scriptures Jesus taught this, and let me illustrate this for you. When we were first the service, I asked you to raise your hand if you've been offended more than five years. Well, I skipped seven years because it was about seven years that I was mad with somebody. Now, I can tell you who it was or when it was, but it was a time of my life, and I can remember like it was yesterday, I was cutting my grass. I had a lawn boy a green mower, and I'm cutting my grass, and something that happened seven years ago would not leave my mind. And the more I continued this mindless activity, the more I just envisioned myself giving this person a flat-top crew cut with that lawnmower, and I would gradually put it down a notch. Now, I didn't want to cut their head off, okay, but I wanted to shave it real close. Not kind of kidding, but not. But you know what I'm talking about. 
Well, I went to this church meeting. That was my mistake. And this preacher was talking about forgiveness. And all the while, I'm thinking, yeah, I wish they were here. <laughs> they need to be here and they need to be listening to this right now. And then this preacher said this thing that made me angry. He said, if someone hurt you and then you in turn responded in a wrong way to them, passive aggressive, anger, push them away, he said, you need to forgive them. You need to go to them and ask them to forgive you because you responded wrong. I said, get thou behind me. Satan, because you savorest not the offenses of a hurt young man. Do you know I ran across that, that person that very night? It was the devil. It had to be. It was God. Now, I had been hurting for seven years, and they probably didn't even have a clue. And I went to this person, and I said, hey, um, you know, the last few years, I'm sure you've noticed, but I've been giving you the cold shoulder, and I've been ignoring you. And uh, I, I want to ask you to forgive me because I have not treated you with the respect and honor that you've deserved, and I've not treated you in a kind manner but in a hurtful manner. Would you forgive me? Even though you caused it, you sorry son of a gun. <laughs> now, what do you think they did? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Oh, no. It was just like, well, I'm finally glad you realized that. I know. <laughs> but I never gave them another crew cut cut in the grass. Because I can't control how you respond to me when I go to you and forgive. But what it does is it sets me free. Come on now. It sets me free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And I want to tell you, friend, there is the potential for God to heal what's broken. The other, listen, you, someone might have hurt you. They could be dead. They could be in another city or state that could have raped you years ago, and you'll never see them again. But can I tell you, friend, you can still release that offense to God. Even if you can't talk to them, our hearts can be clean and pure. How many know the walls can fall down because walls can be built on both sides? Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. And why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? Hey, this was good today, wasn't it? We're going to continue this next week and talk about fighting back from Ephesians 6, how to fight back against this spiritual darkness because you're not helpless. But I wonder if you could just take just a minute with me and just, just bow your head just a moment and just say, Lord, what are, you, <laughs> what are you saying to me in all this? Maybe a bigger question is, what am I going to do with all this? It would be real easy right now just to sneak out of this room real quick and go order lunch. But before you do that, I just wonder what the Holy Spirit might have spoken to you this morning. I want you to just close your eyes just a second. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I wonder if you're here today and say, it would answer this question honestly, but is there a, a, a significant relationship in your life that needs to be restored and you want to ask God to help you? Would you just slip your hand up? Nobody looking around. Keep your eyes closed right now. This is a you and God moment. That's right. A significant relationship that needs restoration. And Lord, we could all just start right here and say, Lord, we just we don't really know how to do or what to do or even have the grace to do it. But Holy Spirit, we want to ask you to help us right now. Come on, could we just pray this right now? Lord, would you give, do for me what you did for Joseph, the one who was wronged, 
and heal a broken relationship. I want to ask you this question. Nobody's looking around now, but is there somebody you need to forgive? Just slip your hand up right now. I got people. God's put his finger. That's right. Don't, you don't have to tell me or anybody else. But I think you need to tell God. There's somebody I need to forgive. If there's others now, come on, just slip your hand up. I know it's hard. They don't deserve forgiveness. But how many know it forgives you? It frees you. I want you just with eyes closed, I want you to just close that, make that fist again. And, and this is what we do when we don't forgive. We hold on to it. We want to somehow enact justice and we want to take it out on them. Now, in Jesus' name, we're just going to open our hand and we're going to bless them right now. See, I'm turning it over to God. I'm turning justice over to God. I'm releasing it to God right now. I'm moving on with my life. I say, God bless you. Now, I want you to just speak a blessing over them right now. Just under your breath, just speak their name and just say, I forgive them right now. I forgive them and I bless them right now. I want to be free from this thing. I don't want to be controlled by it. Let me ask you another question. Drop your hands, but are you offended at someone? If you are, I want you to lift your hands right now. Somebody's done something to me that's hurt me. I'm offended right now. And I've been carrying it. I've, been, I've wanted to get out of this room, but I'm not going to do it. I'm offended. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Come on, let's just pray. This is hard because the world is filled with injustice greater than just a diss on Facebook. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now and just help our, our friends, our brothers, our sisters in Christ be freed from this great, great torment. Let me ask you another question. Is someone offended at you? You know somebody's kind of mad at you out there. Don't slip your hand right now. Yeah, they're mad at you. Could we just pray right now, Holy Spirit, show us what to do? I want you to just pray that prayer with me right now. If you know someone that's offended at you, don't just revel in it, but say, Lord, how can I recognize? What do I need to do? Holy Spirit, we just pray that your grace just settle settle Holy Spirit on this show me what to do because all of us in this room today want reconciliation more than we want judgment more than we want to get even more than we want to hurt somebody back we want the joy to be restored we want peace to come we want happiness to be restored we want love to be restored and we're not any longer going to be be, be snared or, 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 or blinded to Satan's tactics we're going to respond to this in a spiritual fashion. In Jesus' name. Now look at me just a second. We're going to close our service with an opportunity for personal prayer. But this was good this morning, wasn't it? It was not because I said it, but it was good because it's the Word of God. Come on. And it's the will of God that we're flowing into today. I want to make an opportunity for personal prayer around the altar. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up. We do it every week. Maybe you've got some issues out in the world and they're still out there when you leave this building and you need God to help you. Maybe something in this message really stirred up some things and, and, and you just need to take somebody by the hand and pray for grace. Maybe the Lord spoke to you about going to the person who hurt you, but you know it's going to be super hard. Let us pray for you. Maybe it's a family situation and you've just carried it for so long. We'll bring it to God with you. But the most important, we'll blend and we'll pray about anything, but the most important thing I'd like to pray about today is your relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a step to Christ. You, you don't know what it means to know Jesus as your Savior, to be born again. To, when we had communion together and I shared my testimony, how Christ changed my life, how I surrendered my life to follow Him, and, and something in your heart says, I need to do that. You see, friends, becoming a Christian is like getting on that Amtrak in downtown Texarkana. 
I mean, oh, the train can pull up to the station and you can either sit and watch it leave or you can say, I'm getting on board this thing. If a taxi cab comes up to pick you, pick you up or whoever, and that taxi cab comes up, I mean, oh, you gotta get in the cab. And, and this is what it means to be a Christian. Christ gave his life on the cross. He's offered us the way of salvation, but we have to make a step to him. And maybe you're ready to make that step today. Maybe you're ready to put your faith in Christ and begin to follow him. And whether it's the first time you've ever done this or you walked with Christ in the past and you got away, but today you're here and say, I'm going to get my life right with God. I am ready to start serving Jesus. If that's you, I want you to just wave your hand at me real quick. We want to pray for you. Come on, lift your hand here. God bless you. Anyone that wants to make steps to Christ, give them a big hand today. Anybody else say, pray for us. God bless you too, dear. Just wave your hand at me where I can see you today. Say, I, I need to get my life right with God today. Anyone, come on, give them a big hand. God bless you today. Somebody else say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. God bless you, dear. The Lord sees you. Any, anybody else today say, pray for me. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for everyone today, but you that lifted your hand to make a step to Christ, I'm going to encourage you to meet someone at the cross and let them pray with you and to help give you some things to help you live the Christian life. Come on, prayer team, come to the front right now. And you that lifted your hands for salvation, give them one more big hand. Say, I'm getting my life right with God. Come on up and we'll meet you at the cross. It's the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. You come let us pray for you today. I love you. Thanks for being here. We'll sing this last song and go. You look forward to seeing you next week. Let the key.